All right. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Sovereign Mindset Podcast. Today I have on Alain. Alain, what's your last name? Leon. <laughs> Alain Leon. Yeah. Uh, Alain is a engineer. He's a technologist. Uh, I think of him as a philosopher, someone who likes to think critically of the world. And uh, I brought him on today to uh, speak a little bit about COVID and just jump into a few other conversations. You know, we're just going to be uh, having a friendly conversation here and pondering about the world a little bit. So welcome. Yeah, good, good, good of you to have me on. Lots of things to ponder about. And by the way, I, um, I consider everybody a philosopher, whether they know it or not. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, especially nowadays, right? Because uh, things are definitely changing fast and people are having to think hard about uh, their lives and the world in general, just because of how far we've shifted in the last year. Um, so yeah, I guess to start off, we could kind of give our positions on, on COVID, how like a general like outlook on how we view the situation. I think that would help uh, set a, you know, uh, the perspective of where we're coming from. Yeah. So, do you want to okay. start, you want to start off there? Well, I'll start out with, at first, it was just scary, right? I'm watching those YouTube videos of like Chinese people dropping to the ground and um, all these reports of the police in China locking people in their, in their apartments. And at the time, it wasn't here, right? And I guess, in a sense, I was like, well, you know, maybe this will be like the original SARS, which really didn't hit us and so on and so forth. So I was watching it from afar and not terribly worried. And then when it starts hitting Italy and they start locking up and it starts moving across the Western world, then it's like, what the heck is this? Who do I trust? You know, who do I go to for information? Um, like you said, I like to think I'm a critical thinker. I'm also an engineer. So for often for these type of things, I, I turn on that, you know, I put on that that technical hat, but this is, you know, I don't know anything about viruses. So who do I end up believing? How do I get to that information? That, that was, that was an issue I had back in the day. Yeah. Trying to figure out uh, the severity of it. Um, trying to figure out what's actually happening. Uh, we had so many conflicting reports and then with social media, you know, everything gets kind of, uh, let's just say, um, since essentially, uh, sensationalized right sensationalized jumbled it um a lot of a lot of what you get in social media unless you've already unless you already have certain sources that you can go to it's just not information it just gets you more worried and it's not information that you can use to calm yourself down and try and figure out what's happening which was which is where i was at the time it's like what's happening i think to your original question sort of my bias and where i come from which is what I think helps me is that I believe that there are, you know, powerful influence, people who have influence and control out there and on either side of the political spectrum and elsewhere that are, that are invested in making you have a narrative and have certain ideas about things because that gives them more power and more control. So with that mindset, I'm always like moving carefully and trying to figure out what is fact from fiction. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, you you really got to have your like critical thinking lens on and really like parse through all the information that's coming and, and um, also put it into that perspective as well, that there are forces out there that create narratives for their own, for their own interests. And uh, that's kind of how I approached this early on. I saw the videos from China, uh, basically, you know, really sensationalized videos. You know, you got people like, I mean, that looks absolutely ridiculous now in, in today's uh, perspective because you had people, uh, you know, just dropping, dropping to the floor like fl uh, flies, you know, it just seemed like now it just seems like really hardcore propaganda, you know, uh, to paint a certain um, spooky narrative of this of this virus. And um, but I caught on to the narrative really early on because after being on the Internet and Twitter for so long, I've kind of learned how to search for. I would say information that kind of yields more to the actual events of things. Uh, mm -hmm. I also um, learned how to pinpoint certain people um, as you know being um, trustworthy. I, I I guess you would say because you know we all see what the mainstream media is like right now. But um, and so I caught onto the narrative real quick listening to podcasts of epi epidemiologists and all of that stuff and. In February, I wrote a long letter to my family where I warned them. I said, hey, listen, this is what's coming. And it was just, I could read that letter to you today, and it's exactly the standard narrative that they're using right now. And then as I started to kind of see what's happening out in the real world, uh, I started to notice that the narrative that they were giving us, you know, with the high R0, with the high death rate, with the, you know, these models that they use to predict millions and millions of people um, would die, um, I started to notice that that's not making a lot of sense. I actually caught on to that pretty early in like in the middle of March when they actually started the lockdowns. I was like, wait a second. If all of this stuff of the virus you're saying is true and this narrative is what you want me to believe, we should be seeing carnage out there in the streets right yeah. now, right? We should yeah. be seeing families uh, being torn apart because, you know, three of their members have died like this. And then. You know, I don't want to ramble on too too long, but uh, that's where I'm at right now. I just saw, I just see a large deviation from what the original narrative was to what we're seeing now actually play out in reality. Yeah, so that that is difficult for everybody to try and piece together, right? You know, you get that you get that first report out of uh, it was Imperial College. So these folks out there, they you know they come out with this report that essentially says that. 3.4% of people are going to die. And although at first, uh, for those who don't know, 3.4% is extremely high. That is millions of people dying. And, and sort of that's where what a lot of governments hold on to. Definitely um, uh, the UK, they start uh, their lockdowns. You know, at first they didn't have lockdowns. And when after dealing with those scientists and, and that story, you know, Imperial College, 3.4 million, uh, they start their lockdown. They say this is this is going to be way worse than anybody thought. And that's it almost seems not it almost seems that was what everybody was using as the reference point. And by everybody, I mean the governments. Now, what one of the things, at least for me, that got me to start thinking I was already skeptical just because of my nature, but I, I was also saying, okay, well, that's my nature. How do I really know? And one of the things that, that came up for me right away, and this is, this is part of the good part of social media, right? So the good part of social media is that, you know, 
um, they do give you articles and they start getting to know your habits. And one of the articles that came across, I think, I think, I think it was social media, almost sure of it, was a report from one from one of the most one of the most important scientists I think these days, and de definitely one of the most cited ones. So he's definitely he's he's been cited thousands and thousands of times and peer reviewed, which was John Ioannidis. And John Ioannidis, I knew him. I've been reading his work. He has uh, one of the things that made him really famous was the work for, you know, most published research is wrong. So he proved like probably over a decade ago why most of the studies that people read and people cite and most of that research that comes out is either completely wrong or has some serious issues in it. And he was able to go through it. And because of that work, that work has been cited immensely and a bunch of other stuff. The guy has been around here for decades. So one of the first things he does, he just starts looking at the data. And he really is somebody that um, is generally, I would say, non-biased. He's not one of these people that either side really calls upon. He's, he's famous only because he's put out a bunch of reports. And he starts looking at, um, at those cases that got locked up in the uh, cruise ships. Remember, it was like off of Japan. I mean, it seems like a, it seems like a, like, years ago, but this was really less than a year ago, right? So he starts looking at that case and he's like, well, the Imperial College, that 3.4%, those are essentially simulations. That's, that's not a number they arrived from hard data. And this is, this is one point that I have that I think that if I was to tell folks something to, to get a clue on, on what's valid information or what you should think about more is that there are classifications of studies. Um, what they did were essentially simulations. In other words, they're kind of thinking based on these numbers, we ran a computer model and this is what it gave us. A computer model is not reality. And it's, it, it just seems like such a small sample there too. I mean, to ex extrapolate what, what, uh, you know, what the consequences of the virus could be on the, on the global population or, or to even extrapolate, that, you know, the 4%, close to 4% death rate that you were saying, uh, it just seems, is that where they got it from the cruise ship? No, no, no. They didn't get it from the cruise ship. So uh, it was just a model of what they thought the R rating would be based on very small data. And they started running on, on previous, on what we know for previous viruses and so on and so forth. And so they extrapolated that and they created this model and, you know, the media, everybody else runs with it and calls it a study. For most people, when they hear the word study, it's only one word. They think, oh, everything, it's legit. You know, it's, it's, it's real. It's like scientists where, you know, with their lab coats somewhere, you know, running experiments. And that's not at all what this was. This was essentially some folks getting numbers as best as they could, uh, but your bias seeps in there a lot when you do that, right? So then Ioannidis, um, that's his name, John Ioannidis, this is the person I'm talking about, he knows that for him, those really don't count, you know? And he starts looking at actual data and the actual data from, from the very few cases we had at the time was from these cruise ships. Uh, the first one, I forget what the name was, but it was, I think, off of the coast of Japan. And he starts looking at it and he's like, well, the evidence that we have thus far is you know, several times less 
than what you're talking about. And although it was a, a cruise ship of, I think at the time it was like 700 folks, I don't remember exactly, but it was around there. It was, it was a good scenario or at least something to look at. And he was like, given what I see, we're, we're really nowhere near, nowhere near those numbers of 3.4%. And interestingly enough, the, the range that he gave, I think was from about giving, given the actual numbers of infections and what happened in that cruise ship was somewhere, I think, between 0.5 to 1%. I'll have to look at it. But it, it, it was several times less than what the Imperial College had. And that's what got me thinking. That's like, okay, these people are running just models of what they think and all these R values and all these other things. And Ioannidis actually has hard data, even though it's you know just some of the few samples that we have, but it's several times before, you know, less than that. So there's where I got my first hint that I, maybe it's not as these people were saying. Yeah, got you. Yeah, I mean, I, I my first hint was more I- intuition. It was just like, hey, man, based <laughs> off what they're saying, if we just take that number or, or we take those numbers and we kind of extrapolate out a little bit, this virus has been here since probably January. And if it's been here since January, um, we were in Miami. Uh, we were in South Beach. We saw the Super Bowl and how many people came in. It was literally yeah, I remember that. hundreds of thousands of people from all over the world. We had uh, tons of Italians, right? Tons of, uh, I'm sure tons of Chinese. And, um, you know, by that, by that point, you know, the virus had already kind of spread. Uh, and I was just thinking, you know, this, this is not adding up. It's not adding up uh, yeah. this, this catastrophe that they're talking about. Uh, doesn't seem doesn't is not doesn't what seem it seems serious right yeah. but the question is so so that's almost like your bias we all have a bias that's the way of our approaching stuff how do other people that don't have that bias go about it if they really if they're really trying to give if they're really trying to put forth an effort which for me it kind of sucks right because if you think about it most people are just living their lives you know with their family, with their loved ones, they kind of depend on the experts to tell them the truth of what's going on without having, not, not having to think is they're just not experts. But now because everything is so politicized, you have to devote time to this and you have to have almost have a system that when a story comes up, you got to go, okay, how do I go about this? Because well, you know what? You, yeah. And that's what I, I find. Uh, I think I've tweeted about this or wrote about this, but uh that's what I find really um, hard right now for people to to wrap their head around is that these institutions and the experts that they've been led to trust, well, you know, um, they might not be as trustworthy as people think. And so what do you do? And for me, I've been critical of kind of um, the media and the government. And I've kind of seen the corruption all the way since like 2008. I've started noticing it more and more, uh, especially like with the Ron Paul campaign and the way the Mm -hmm. media treated him. And I just said, oh, wow, this is an institution that has no problem being corrupt when it's, you know, in their in in their interest to do so. There's and for me, immediately, I say, okay, well, then, you know, if someone lies to you constantly, right, and mm-hmm. has no problem lying to you, well, you're going to lose trust in their integrity. And so I lost trust in the integrity of the media and the government a long time ago. So I always view information through a critical lens. I've already developed that skill to kind of parse the internet and, and parse out the propaganda from what's fact and what's fiction and kind of know also, I don't even have to know what the truth is. 
I just have to know when I'm being bullshitted or I, I have to be, <laughs> you know? so uh, that's another part. It's like, Hey, I don't know. I don't know what the truth is, but all I know is that that makes no sense right there. Or, or that sounds, or that's a blatant lie, you know, based on, on whatever factors there are that can reveal that to you. But uh, yeah. So I, I do want to kind of touch back onto what you were saying and that is in regards to how they use these models and they use these kind of studies, right? Um, quote unquote, uh, to to now go to go to governments and go to Congress and go to, to these places and make policies. And this is yeah. what we're what yeah. we're seeing is that these lockdown policies, these are are are, are now kind of looking like they're based off of bad not not bad signs, but bad data. And, and you could say bad science because science is a, a, a process, a discovery process, right? And, um, and if, if something gets corrupted in that discovery process, well, it could lead you to the wrong results or to the wrong conclusions. And it just seems like, like what you're saying there is, is happened, is happening, you know, that this bad yeah. science, this bad data has led to really bad policies. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, one thing I'll say is that I've noticed definitely that folks that um, that are normally on third parties, you know, you mentioned Ron Paul, but I've also seen it a lot with with other third parties. They almost have an intuitive sense and are have been put into situations where they see how the narrative works against them. Right. If you're if you're probably in one of the two major parties, you don't see it as much. But uh, with the other parties, like, you know, you could see how they tried to when when the Yang gang was happening and Andrew Yang and that whole deal, how they how they you know, they, they wouldn't give him any time. And, and so you see that push, you see that control come can, through. Can I just say something real quick there on that point? It, it's, it's one of those things where people might say, oh, yeah, look at, you know, it, especially nowadays, it's so easy to throw that right wing pejorative out there as anyone who thinks critically is a right winger and anyone who, who questions things in, in that regard is a right winger. How can you question the system? But like liberals or Democrats can see the same thing have happened to yeah. their party in 2016 with Bernie Sanders and how yeah. it was yeah, yeah, for sure. all the fraud and corruption that occurred there. And it's just a so, you know, to, to think that that can't happen, it I mean, it's happened to their side as well, right? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. The Bernie Sanders. I I have a quite a good a uh, few friends of mine that are Bernie supporters, and they're still livid about that. They remember it very well. For me personally, it was. Um, I just remember the the whole Iraq War. I remember how Colin Powell. I still remember he was sitting there in front of the UN with the vials of whatever, <laughs> right? Um, and that was. And so I remember for years what came out of that and I was like wow I believed Colin Powell and and it wasn't just a matter of believing or not believing him it, I did I thought he was somebody that um that was trustworthy but it's that's really when you start thinking there's there's like this whole system like almost this apparatus and you catch yourself is this conspiracy theory am I going down the rabbit hole or you know but but there's definitely I think I think most people if you ask them right now I think they think there is people who have influence, who have power, who have control, and they're using that to exert it on, on the wider population. Sure. And so, um, but like, just going back to that, I, I do want to address that. That is uh, one aspect of it, but I just want to address the practical aspect of the lockdowns as far as. Yeah. So when it, when it comes to that with a lockdown, so you brought up the whole point of science 
and I'm and science these days almost almost like a politicized word is like wow you know it's like everybody tries to attach to it but at least one of the things that we can that we can point to one of the things that I pointed to is like okay what were the standard procedures before this so I had to go out and really find out you know what was what what WHO what was historically done and historically done definitely the standard procedure was not to lock down entire cities, countries, you know, the standard procedure was to lock, to lock down, if we want to use that phrase, or really just quarantine the people that were sick. That was it. That was it. Um, even if you go back, and, uh, interesting that you brought in the Super Bowl, right? Uh, that happened here in Miami, uh, which is where I'm at, because Fauci was asked about the Super Bowl. He was specifically asked about the Super Bowl, and he said, ah, it wasn't going to be a big deal. So the regarding the lockdowns up until 2020, the standard procedure was just to quarantine uh, the people that were sick. Yeah. So with that, you know, thing that bothers me about the lockdown. So number one, I just look at it from a moral perspective. It's just a, a complete violation of our human rights. Number one. Uh, and even if it did work, even if it, if, if it was one of those things, I think, uh, you know, to force a, force use the force of government to impose like these really draconian restrictions that are a, a, a violation of the fundamental principles which are a bedrock to our society and allow for civilization to flourish and 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 cooperate um i think that just from a moral perspective that's wrong um then from a practical perspective i also see lockdowns as something that was done completely uh in in, in a way that's almost anti-science it's 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 like totally illogical because it's there's no it's not a it is the same methods that they used in medieval times everybody stay in your house lock your doors you know what i mean and it's like well have we not a have we not you know um progressed progressed a little bit and then not only that but you also have to consider the trade-offs and this is one of the things that always bother me no one considered the trade-offs when proposing for these lockdowns all right the trade-offs like how many people are going to die from suicide how much economic damage is going to be caused how much unemployment is going to happen and what are the deaths that are going to result from that and i just don't feel like there was any consideration given to that from let's just say people in media and people in the government um of course maybe there was some but uh you know for the the general you know basically what the apparatus wants to push out there they mm -hmm. You know, anyone that even posed that concern um, to them was demonized in a way. It's saying like, oh, my yeah, God, that was interesting. That, that, that was interesting. Right. Uh, I would tend to agree with you there that that uh, that that side of it was missing, was missing from the argument. And it was demonized. And I was figuring out why is this being demonized? And it was being demonized, at least a conclusion that I got to is because they're putting it as lives versus versus money, right? It was like, well, I'm talking to you about saving lives and you're talking to me about just money. Yep. No, it's, it's just greed. And I was like, that's when I realized that oftentimes language can get, can be a huge barrier because people will talk about the economy and really, at least for me, when I talk about the economy, I talk about like everyday lives, like impact in people's lives. And to other people, that just means money. No, I mean, that means people's livelihoods. That means how yeah. they put food, food on the table. It means their, their plans and their dreams. And, you know, when, when people lose hope, 
right? I mean, we be, we become a very depressed society, and yeah. and that in itself, the psychological toll. No one, no, no one cons- considered these things, and it's it's really it's it was just let's take this hammer, and and let's just start whacking things down and and that'll make it go away without any consideration to the collateral damage the first order second order third order effects that would occur and you know the also having a long-term view because an economy is not something that you can turn off and turn right back on uh you know especially one that's been highly indebted there is a lot of let's just say um untangling that needs to occur before productivity comes back into uh, the mix. And so I think that we haven't even started to see, you know, we're printing a bunch of money right now and things feel good, but we haven't even begun to see what the consequences are. And then, um, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but it's it's fun talking about this stuff, but I just want to go back to the lockdowns also and, and talk about how, you know, we're in Florida, we were probably locked down for a month, at least where, where, where I was at. And it wasn't lockdown. It was just like, Hey guys, shut down your business. And, yeah. uh, and uh, let's, let's all chill out. And that was like a month and then things reopened. And, you know, I moved out of Miami because Miami is it, it, to me, it, it went full on like totalitarian. Uh, my threshold yeah. is low, low though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I moved to a place where it was open the whole time and no, no one yeah. really changed their behaviors and it, it highlighted to me just the absurdity of lockdown. You know, it's like, how is it in some places they're not locked down, like I guess Sweden. And, yeah. you know, they were, you know, you would expect based off the, based off of what they were projecting, uh, based off the, the information they were pushing out there, that Sweden would be absolutely ravaged because lockdown is the only way to prevent this virus. Now, do, yeah. are, you, are you noticing that absurdity, that, that complete um, disconnect there? Well, so it's interesting, right? Because again, I put, I put myself, knowing myself, I, I try to identify my biases, but I also try and ask the question, okay, somebody that does not have these biases, how do they go around this problem? So at the, at the time, the stories, the narrative, me chatting on my friends with Facebook, with family members was like, listen, we don't know what the heck this thing is. Let's just shut down for a little bit will flatten the curve. Remember, that was that was like the goal in life was like to flatten the curve. And once we get a handle on this, then things will get back to normal. So in Miami, we did, you know, we did lockdown. Um, they closed everything. Um, I, was, I was, nobody was going to work. Um, everybody was wearing masks. Uh, everybody was inside their house. And everybody was running very, very scared. I had, I had a friend that I had to take uh, toilet paper too you know um she was down to 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 using tissues you know and uh i remember dropping it off in front of her door and stepping back into the stairwell and there's when she opened and like she looked at me and the minute she saw me she just started crying and i'm like why are you crying and she's like well i haven't seen a human being in over a month and i'm like wow you know that's see, I mean, people don't understand the psychological toll that has on people, you know, it's yeah, it's, yeah, no, it's so f- for people at the time, people weren't sure they were getting information from here from there, like, you know, the folks more like yourself that, that were like this, and this, this is not a big deal, go on about your lives. And then the other people telling them this is going to be a total disaster, millions and millions of people are going to die. 
So that was, that was, I think that was the narrative for the, for the lockdowns. We didn't have as much, we definitely did not have as much information about the virus uh, as we do now. And the goal was to, to flatten the curve. And we did, right? The curve was flattened. What started, what definitely I started seeing is that even as more information was coming out, and even though the curve was flattening, like they weren't, the whole lockdown approach was still like full on in many places in the United States and the world. Well, with the exception of like Sweden and something like that, which we can we can talk about because I, I immediately once that started happening in Sweden, I was like, okay, I can hold on to this, listening to listen to the experts from there. That that was a beacon for me. Sweden ended up being a beacon for me for me to compare experts and opinions and go about this um, figuring out the puzzle. Yeah, um, Sweden. So Sweden is one of those things where it's like, um, I guess, uh, what would you call it in scientific terms? It's, it's your, uh, constant or, or, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, the, the, it's uh, the control, the control. It's the control. And, um, interesting but, to know. So, right. So the Imperial college guys, the people that were using the 3.4% that, that people were going to die, they actually, um, did a model for Sweden as well. Right. So the model for Sweden was if Sweden does nothing, you know what they're doing, they're going to lose 90,000 people within six months. That never, they were just completely off there. Like they were in everywhere that's what, else. That's what, you know, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's really one of those things that really upset me about all of this. None of these people are going to face consequences. The amount of devastation that they've caused based off their models being wrong uh, or based off of, you know, giving this false confidence into their projections, you know, and actually taking this to, you know, whatever government and saying, hey, this is what it's going to be and instilling all this fear in the population to take these measures that are absolutely devastating, in my opinion, uh, you know, like lockdowns and masks and all of that stuff. Uh, you know, they they really, I feel like bamboozled, for lack of a better word. <laughs> bamboozled, yeah. Yeah, this, the scientific uh, establishment, as well as, you know, the, um, the government, um, not to, and that's that's to say that the government isn't didn't want that, you know. Uh, maybe maybe they pushed for that study, but I, you know, I would see how they that would be very beneficial to a government when you say, "Hey, there's a catastrophe on the horizon." I mean, they look at that and they see opportunity. So I I'm not implying that they, you know, I'm just saying that there would be very little pushback to a catastrophic study in my opinion, by government, they would, you know, welcome that opportunity because governments naturally just want to take over more control. And at, at least that's my perspective. I, I, I don't, I don't think that people right now can look at what's happening in, in, in certain areas and think that government is benevolent, uh, benevolent. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, so there's always that aspect to it. I think there's always that aspect to it. And probably I'm probably closer to you into believing that aspect to it as well. But even without that aspect, um, you know, we're both, we're both in crypto, we, we look at crypto. And one of the big questions in, in these projects in crypto is, is governance, right, and incentives. And definitely politicians, and even, you know, the scientists, a lot of them, they don't, they don't have skin in the game, they soft, they like you say, they suffer no consequences for being wrong. And they suffer 
an immense amount of consequences. Um, um, for, for I mean, for like when they're right, they're right, and they they suffer nothing for being wrong. So if let's say let's say they would have said nothing is going to happen, everything is going to be fine, and this thing turns out to be a disaster, all the attention in the world is on them. But if they say this thing is going to be a disaster, and nothing happens, it's like okay, no big deal. And the, uh, the incentives are, are perverted there. As yeah, far the, as incenti- the incentives are wrong. The incentives are, uh, are, let me not say wrong, but they're not appropriate to the best outcome that we would want. Because when you really, when you really have to put money in the game, skin in the game, as they say, that's really when you start taking things into account. And so even without, even without going the government, this is they wanted to do this from the beginning, which, you know, there's, there's an aspect of that. As you say, I do believe that governments generally want more power and control, but even without that, you could just see that the incentives are wrong. And if you, and if you get that from the beginning, that, that really gets your ears up and gets you thinking more about it. And they definitely, they had the initial 3.4% overall. They had other, again, we call them studies, but these really are just models of what somebody thinks. It's not, it's not an actual study. It's not somebody in a lab code in a lab somewhere running tests on the coronavirus to, to determine this. And they were factually, unfortunately, wrong. Or let's just say the models were not accurate. They were not accurate. Usually models, you know, they're not going to be perfect. It's like, okay, yeah, can we get- wildly wrong. Yeah, it's, well, so normally it's like, okay, we have zero information. Can we get with a model, can we get to a point to a range that is tighter and, 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 and so that we can knock off? So essentially, if you, like, is it 100 million people that are going to die? You know, they're like, oh, no, no, we'll narrow it down. According to our measures, we're, we're narrowing it down to 3.4 million. So if we do nothing, it's 3.4 million versus a hundred million or a billion. Like, you know, like that's, that's really what the models are supposed to do. They're supposed to narrow the range and, and, and give us something more useful than what we had before. What ended up happening though is 3.4 million, or let's just take the case of Sweden, Sweden. They said, if you do nothing, it's going to be 90,000 people that are going to die within six months. That's really scary numbers. They essentially did nothing, especially in the beginning. I mean, they had, they didn't do anything. They, they did had some measures, right? So that's, let's, let's, let's put facts. They did, uh, you were not allowed to congregate 50 people or more, you know, um, uh, schools above, I believe it was um, above high school, the equivalent of high school for us, they were closed. So up until like, I think it was uh, 15 or 16 years old, you were there. Um, they, they stayed open. They did have some measures, but generally speaking, people were going about their lives. And, um, you know, they asked everybody, you know, if you can, if you can work from home, just stay home. Uh, the only businesses that were closed is if you had 50 people or more. So they did have some measures, right? But generally speaking, with what they did, their model said 90,000 people were going to die within six months. And it was 5,000 people. Yeah, so way off. That way model off. was not useful. Yeah. <laughs> it which just wasn't useful. So, you know, the, and the, so here's the thing, like these experts, supposed experts, and these people who run these studies, and, you know, none of these people have been really put up and, uh, and 
interrogated or put under oath and, and given testimony, you know, in that regard, or have been vouched as experts, you know, like when you, when you go to through a legal process and you call up an expert witness, there is um, a criteria that they have to go to to prove that they are experts in, in the field or what it is that they're talking about. And so no one's even had to, you know, no one's even had to uh, show their competence and, and we're basing policies off of this. And it's just, it, it, it's wild to me. And then again, like we said, no one really suffers the, the consequences. Yeah, the incentives are just wrong. And that's what, that's what bo- when I look at the situation, what I see is the incentives are wrong. So a lot of this is being, is being looked at in public opinion, right? And then when you look at in public opinion, when you look at the media, they're not really being critical of them either, just like they weren't critical of, you know, the Bush administration and the whole Iraq thing. So the media also, their incentives are not correct because as we know already, what sells is outrage and politicizing things and getting people to argue with each other because it drives ratings. So if you have the Imperial College guys tell folks telling you that this is going to be a disaster, media is going to run with it, right? Because that's that's where their incentives were. So in, in the realm of public opinion, definitely the people that are supposed to be critical were not. Yeah, it's 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 wild. And this is where you can see the apparatus really expose itself. Um, you can see the synchronicity across, you know, all these huge institutions to try and maintain a narrative, a narrative that, and, and even going so far as, you know, uh, synchronistic censorship uh, of the same kind of people, of the same kind of message, um, and that's really what's disturbing. We're, we're, we're starting to see the revelation of a totalitarian arm within our control system. And, you know, when I think of systems, I, I do think of them on the spectrum of decentralized versus centralized. Mm-hmm. And what, what I find is that a centralized system is more of a top-down uh, approach to, uh, to information. Um, and where decentralized system is more of a democratized way of spreading information. And when you look at those two, I see the decentralized system as being more, um, more functional towards finding out truth, right? Because you have different people uh, exploring their own, uh, their own ideas and their own um, tests and their own hypotheses uh, versus a top-down approach where you only get one and if that one is corrupted, right, it's it, it can lead to very detrimental effects. Now, um, yeah, but that that's very tough where we live, right? Now, where and where we live, I, I pretty much mean the world, <laughs> because almost everything is top down. I mean, if you if you look at, for example, one of the things that happened here uh, when we were first trying to ascertain how many infections there were, right? How do we run this test? If you remember correctly, a lot of people were talking about you know contact tracing and shutting things down so it doesn't happen. But in order to do that, we needed to know the numbers. Unfortunately, due to our laws and how things work here, at least in the United States, there were a number of universities and even individuals, even companies that wanted to create their own tests for SARS-CoV-2. And they couldn't. They were threatened specifically by the CDC who initially botched the tests that they created. So it took several but, weeks for us for us to to have a valid test and that comes from that top-down approach that you were talking about and so that's my point really it's like you know 
Uh, I just want to spread the idea that, you know, first of all, a top-down centralized approach um, where they use heavy-handed authoritarian tactics to keep the control, uh, you know, under their belt is communism, right? It, it, it's basically, you know, um, a communist system in a way, and, and from what I, from the way I look at it, because the apparatus is basically the same. Um, now, whether the intention is different, you know, it, 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 to me, it doesn't matter. It matters what the apparatus is used for. And if it's used for violating these like principles, which we've founded society upon, you know, it, then again, like those are the things that would make something a democracy and then like mm -hmm. free, free speech, um, you know, uh, freedom to assemble, freedom, especially the free speech aspect, because yeah. you, you are allowed to challenge authority because, you know, because um, the, you live in a democracy where everybody's voice should be heard. And yet yeah. they were they were censoring people. And that's really disturbing to me, especially to see liberals out there applauding this type of approach. Right. Because you know, supposedly, right, liberals, I mean, I think most liberals right now are socialists and, and socialists are just closet, closet authoritarians at this point, but, <laughs> but, but real liberals, right, people who believe yeah. in, in the values that came out of the Enlightenment and, you know, the, the values that respect the individual and see the individual as a process for creating human flourishing, right, these, these are, they're giving in into these totalitarian uh, measures. And it's that's one of the things that's highly uh, disturbing to me because it just seems like the cognitive dissonance which people have li lived in is, is, is taking over their sense-making yeah. abilities right now. Yeah. You know? the, and, well, the, so there was definitely a push, let's just say to quickly hand out executive orders, right? at all levels of government. Uh, one thing I found interesting was that a lot of the time, uh, you know, our president, um, Trump, up until, you know, a few days from now, I guess, um, a lot of people said he was a Hitler and uh, authoritarian. And it was interesting for me to see that he was one of the folks that didn't start coming out with like, mandates from the top now for some people that's a negative thing some people are saying he should have taken leadership and should have started no he everything. should have he should have been more of a dictator i mean these are what yeah. you got this is what <laughs> that's you yeah it, it, that's kind of like the argument that they make right so that that didn't happen but you definitely did see it uh, across all our different states how how different governors had completely different had completely different approaches right um, New York starts locking down. A lot of states start locking down hard. Um, for us over here in Florida, it took a while, but eventually, you know, the order came through and then it was quickly lifted. And you start seeing and you start seeing the different approaches and everybody, not everybody, but it's, you know, it, it's, I think it's roughly 50-50, but a lot of people here where we're for those, you know, throw down the executive order, lock everybody. And I was like, well, you know, we have three branches of government. Um, you know, we've had more than 30 days. So I could see, you know, worst case scenario, even, even if you want to sort of like, you know, be on their side. Well, if this was really, really, really bad, I could see how, you know, your governor would come in and, and send this executive order, everybody just locked down. But after a certain point, no matter who you are, you should really want the legislative part 
of the process to take over and have more than more people than just one person decide what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, so the way I see it is, uh, you know, again, to me, the best approach is a decentralized approach, um, you know, where people act in according to what they think is is the right way to act. And if we're going to have like certain violations of our God-given rights as human beings, uh, you know, then let it happen at a local level where the people have more control. You know, yeah. if we're if we're doing this thing at a national level, the people have really no no recourse to uh, to push back because things are so you know re far removed from them. And yeah. yeah, so it's 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 actually pretty disturbing to see just the culture of freedom it's, and and the ideas that we have and we value are being totally disregarded for this like again this Orwellian uh, totalitarian mindset now where it's like hey whatever the problem is it's okay to violate our rights. It's okay for the government to impose upon us all the way up into our bedroom, right? You've had yeah. stories, we, you've had stories of people not being, a, uh, or the government thinking, having the audacity to tell people, hey, you can't have sex with your wife. If you do, you have a mask on. I mean, like outra <laughs> outrageous yeah, those stories, yeah. Outrageous things like that, right? And, yeah. you know, it, it just seems, it just seems like people have just rolled over and are taking this. And that's one of, one of the disturbing things that I see. And, and one of the reasons why I want to get you on the podcast and even talk about this, because I feel like more conversations need to be had like this while we have the chance, you know, while we have the opportunity, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. This is a question I want to get to, but right now we have an opportunity to speak out a little bit about this and promote the ideas of freedom. Yeah. And it's, Go ahead. Yeah. What, what, one thing I will say is that, you know, because you were saying people are, are rolling over. And I think there when when people don't know and they met and, and there's this emergency and they think that people may be dying or whatever it is, I think people get scared. They have fear and, and they roll over easily, easier. Right. One of the things I would say is that, you know, start looking at things with with the critical eye. And um, th there are sources out there, right? So one of, the, one of the things I would highlight for folks is that I personally believe that right now that what mainly drives uh, this virus um, is seasonality, regionality, right? So if, if you start looking at all the charts of either infections or uh, deaths and you start looking at it by region, so, for example, you take uh, take two states, New York, New Jersey, right? For the people here in the United States, New York, New Jersey, you look at their charts, they're practically identical. You know, and you remember how the governor of New York was taking a lot of credit. He even wrote a book and saying, oh, you know, all everything I did, you know, brought down all those infections and all that in New York. And then you see, yeah, you see an extremely amount of high infections and deaths in the beginning, and then you see it come down you know, to extremely, extremely low. And there's where he's taking credit for all of that. And then it takes that giant spike, which is even higher now. But you look at, at, their, at their situation and you look at New Jersey, which is right there next to them, exactly the same thing. Should their governor also release a book? You know, And you look at all the states in that region and they have the same curves. And then you look for states that are where we are. You know, you look at, uh, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and you see that it has like a, a sort of flat in the beginning, then a hump in the middle, then it comes back to low again, and then it goes higher now, more similar to where we were before. 
but you see that it's the entire region doing that. And after a while, this whole thing of like, you know, people getting tired or not wearing their masks or doing this, which is true. People do get tired after a while. People are like, you know, I, I cannot live like this anymore. But when you look at the entire regions of multiple states, you see that what's driving it is definitely something else. And it's not necessarily people's actions. And so that would be one of the things that that would be one of the things I would highlight to your readers is, you know, just go to like the COVID tracking project. And there you could you could very quickly just choose a state and see the numbers and then you can compare it to another state and it's very graphically very easily and this is how you start getting information that you can think of of your own so that you don't roll over like you say yeah 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 um yeah i do feel like it is kind of a demoralization process like as well right it's it's people have been bombarded with fear propaganda plus now you got everybody wearing masks and you, you've kind of created this uh, authoritarian culture within our society and so it's like man you know for me to go out with without a mask in miami you know i'm getting approached and accosted five to ten times you know at the grocery <laughs> store or whatever so yeah. it's 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 one of those things where after a while, you know, you just get beaten down so much, you just kind of like roll over. And, uh, you know, but again, I, for me, what I say to people who see this, who see the inconsistencies of, of the policies versus what is reality, uh, to people who see the, the agenda, who see what's happening, you know, I, I, you know, what I, what I encourage people to do is push back whenever you can, you know, don't, you don't have yeah. to take the work, you don't have to take the weight of the world on your shoulders, uh, you know, but you can push back when you can. And, you know, it's crazy to me that we, we are not having more liberals uh, join us in this. Um, and I think it, I think that- It's been that, politicized. It's just, it's yeah. been political. And that's really what gets me. It's that it should be, it should be a scatter plot of people all over the political spectrum, but because it's been politicized, it's almost like one half is against the other in their opinions. And it shouldn't be it. Even if there wasn't, that's one thing I point out as well to folks. If it wasn't politicized this much, people's opinion would pretty much would be a scatter plot, like everywhere, and, and it's not. Yeah, that's the and that's the cognitive dissonance, right? And that's where it is. That's how they, the politicization is the way they inject that cognitive dissonance, right? Because, look, you know, anything that Trump says, first of all, like if you believe Trump's Hitler, right, and you believe that Trump is this horrible uh, person, and he, you know. And the climate is so charged, right? Where it's like, no, we have to do whatever we can to get him out of office, it, it, whatever it takes. I mean, this is literally the mindset of, of the Democrats and, and the liberals. And so it, it, it's, it's one of those things where, no, whatever Trump says is wrong. So yeah. you have to go <laughs> against all of that. Oh, he took off his mask? Oh, well, <laughs> I, Trump is wrong. I love my mask, you know, and if you don't wear a mask, you're a bad person. Right. And, and um, I mean, that's basically the mindset that they're talking about. Yeah. And that, and he, that has consequences. I, one of the big consequences that it had for me was um, so sometimes I, I try and tune in to, to the narrative and to the fight. Right. And sometimes I tune out cause I can't take it anymore. And I remember when he mentioned hydroxychloroquine, right. And uh, I actually had not heard of hydroxychloroquine until he mentioned it. I'm like, what? You know, because I think that was one of the points where I was tuning out. And then so I like start doing all this research on it. And, you know, all the countries that were already using it and had it in their protocols, even countries that had very low, um, you know, death and infection rates. And I start going through that and I'm like, we should really be looking into this at the very least. 
but the politicization came and I'm like, oh man, this is not good. And sure enough, you know, it was, it was, it was something that I feel got put to the wayside. Yeah. So, and, and without a proper scientific exploration, especially when you have doctors, all right, a cohort of doctors um, across the world talking about the benefits that they've seen using hydroxychloroquine, right? And it's yeah. wild to me that that gets censored. And then that gets, even the mention of that gets positioned or, or, or in a way that makes the person talking about it some crazy, uh, you know, some yeah, crazy some, guy. <laughs> some tinfoil who, hat person. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, and this is a medicine that's been FDA approved and it is over the counter. Yeah, it's extremely a... popular. It's used to like treat malaria. It's like one of the few medications that like hundreds and hundreds of millions of people have have used. So it, it like everything, it does have side effects, but it's like doctors and people all over the world have been creating profiles for the risk for, for decades for this medication. So it, it's extremely well known. Yes. And so, and that's what I mean. It, it, it just seems like this, uh, this politicization has created uh, a culture where they ignore science and they, uh, they ignore the discovery process and they, they just base their ideas, their opinions, and their policies on what the party says is, is correct. You know, it, it's, all, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of going towards this, you know, hey, whatever this apparatus says, you know, this apparatus that's exposing itself right now, uh, whatever they say is the truth. We don't need to look into this stuff. In fact, anyone who else who looks into this stuff is 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 not only wrong, but they they are uh, you know bad actors because the authority has granted the truth. And any question, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're, that, you're you're either you're either evil or you're or you're you're a useful idiot. I remember <laughs> I remember having this argument with one of my friends online, and I was like, "Well, you're leaving me no choice here. I'm either." you know, evil or, or I'm a useful idiot. Which one am I? Um, and for a lot of the times he's asking to, to just look at the information. And that's why I think, again, to, to your viewers, to your readers, um, that, that there are ways of just looking at simple information that, that you can feel better and you can think critically about what's going on. One of them is definitely just looking at charts of what happens, what's happening with infection rates uh, all over the United States. And just by looking at those charts, you'll clearly see that this is really like, like a regional issue because all the states that are in the same area, they more or less have the same, have the same uh, infection rates, you know? And, and so the other part about it also, like a scientific approach would look at this, especially right now and say, okay, well, the lockdowns are having uh, negative consequences, right? They, they're definitely, um, you know, unintended consequences that have occurred. And what we've noticed from the virus is that it affects people. It, it, it's, it's not uh, indiscriminate, right? It's, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's very discriminate and it affects the elderly the most and people with comorbidities yeah. the most. Yes, 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 and, yes, yes. And anyone under 50, right, basically has a, a, a very trivial risk to die now there's always outliers right there's yes, yes so there's always outliers yeah so for 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 folks in their teens the flu is literally kills more people than like let's say teenagers right yeah. and if you're definitely like so like for college folks um you know a lot of people are 
saying, you know, they're out partying, they're not paying attention. It doesn't affect them at all. This really affects the, the age stratification of this is just, it's massive. Yes. Like, no. Like, it, it, yeah. And let me just finish this point, Alain. Yeah. Real quick. Cause I was just, I was just getting it and I don't want to forget it. The point is the scientific approach would look at that and say, Hey, let's develop policies around this, around this uh, property that we've noticed with the virus. And that it, and that is that it is discriminant against mm -hmm. elderly. So let's, Severely. you know, folk, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, to the point where, again, there's no risk to people under 50. So let's focus on policies that work in that way. That way, you know, we've recognized the trade-offs, all right? Mm -hmm. And we understand that lockdowns are detrimental to society and that have, um, you know, consequences where, you know, it could be that more people actually die from the lockdowns and the virus. So let's readjust. You know, I would give someone credit if they, if they even approached it that way. But it just seems like it's no lockdown. It don't yeah, matter that, who you that's are. That's also missing. Yeah, that's also missing from the conversation. So, so two things that that are that are missing from the conversation, I believe, was the economic impact. I think that is in there, but is too easily glossed over by the people, by the folks that that push for lockdowns. And the other one that's almost entirely out of the conversation is how hard this hits elderly folks, like in like in Sweden. Out of the, I think right now they're probably closer to 7,000 folks that they have. They had like less than 100 or around 100 that were like 50, uh, less than 50 years old that, that died from it. The, their average age of death is like 80 years old. And it's something similar to that is everywhere else. You know, um, so yeah, the this really impacts the the our older population, our wise population, right? And the policies, at least I feel, should be targeted towards them. Should be targeted towards protecting them. If folks want the vaccine, uh, it it should be them first if they choose to take it. Um, but that's left out as well. That's left yeah. out as well. And that's what I'm saying. It's it's very uh, to me like. It's a very unscientific approach. People talk about trust of science, trust of science. First of all, science is not meant to be trusted. It's meant to be scrutinized. Yeah. It's meant to be, it's <laughs> yeah. meant to be tested. Not a belief. It's not a belief system. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, science has kind of turned into a religion. And, you know, um, just going back, like, to the, you know, the, uh, the, the breaking down of the logic of it all, you know, we look at the PCR tests and, mm -hmm. you know, PCR tests, there's there's all types of problems with the PCR test. And then not only that, but the recording of deaths, right? And yeah, this yeah. is something that Dr. Burks... It's a big question, yeah. This is something that Dr. Burks um, talk, said openly. No, I, you mm -hmm. know, I don't give any of these people credit, but for anything, I, I don't think that they're good people. And, um, you know, I, I don't even know how sincere they are. I mean, it's very obvious that they're hypocrites and they're liars because, I mean, yeah. they've... They, <laughs> I mean, they've well for the regular folks that you know may not consider them hypocrites or liars. So I, I don't know how much your readers are, are aware of what's going on with the whole PCR test, right? So the whole PCR test, it it essentially it it tests. You know, you give it a swab, a sample, and then it does it goes through levels of magnification. And at some point, you know, uh, the magnification it it may not be magnifying anything that's useful. 
So what's been happening is, and the way I thought about this is, okay, number one, are there any established, even if there are governmental um, sources that agree with sort of what like the far out people are saying? And right now the story is that the PCR tests are using a magnification level so high that what they're magnifying is not actual live virus. And so you're getting a test positive for something that would never, is not a virus. It's just a fragment of a virus. It's a piece of a virus, something that was left over from the virus. And, and it doesn't tell you anything really about, especially if it's like, you know, they're taking uh, one, one virus particle and they're magnifying it, uh, yeah. you know, to, to a trillion times or whatever, you know. Yeah, it's a lot. So we don't have to get terribly technical on it, but there's, there's what they call the cycle threshold, which is the number of multiplications on it. And here's one thing that even Fauci said. So even Fauci is on the record as saying that essentially anything that you multiply more than 35 times is you're just finding dead pieces of the virus and you're not find, finding the virus itself. What's been happening in the United States is that from all the sources that I have checked and have looked at, and it seems that almost everybody is using 37 and 40 times magnification, meaning that you are definitely getting a whole bunch of cases that are not cases and probably classifying a, a number of deaths as COVID deaths that are not COVID deaths. Because, you know, if you die and they run a test on, if, you, if they run this PCR test on you with 40 times magnification and what you really was, well, you had COVID three months ago, right? And now you died of a heart attack. You're going to go down as having died of COVID. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the things that uh, really is, I try to highlight to people is that, you know, these death counts that they're, um, first of all, I, I went on my, um, I went on and I looked at the people that died of COVID in my county, um, where I'm living right now. And the, the medium age has to be like 82 years old. You know, it's, it's, it, it's crazy how, yeah. how, how, how lopsided that is towards like it's very very lopsided yeah yeah it's past it's past the uh average age of death in this country right the people that die of covid is past the average age of death and so uh that's i mean that's what i've what i've known at least here in this county it's definitely yeah, no no yeah, i haven't um it's definitely around there i, I don't know exactly what it is but it's that it's, it's that high it's definitely around there and so it's again like you were saying it's the liberal and when I use liberal here, I, I use it as the term loosely, right? It's freely classifying people as COVID deaths, you know, if, if, and then using a PCR test, which picks, which is highly sensitive to giving a positive result because of the magnification process. Yeah. And, and so, you know, these deaths that I, you know, I, I can't take that number seriously, whatever amount of deaths they say that they are for me, Personally, when I know that the way they are testing people is suspect of of yeah. yielding false results or you know results that are not really accurate to what we are looking for, right? We're looking for becomes how is is there any like data for for folks that want to remain neutral? And is there any data that they you know how do you, how do you know this? Like how do you know this? 
Yeah, I'm not talking so, about you. I'm talking about people, people in general. Like, how would they go around finding out? It's like, okay, well, so we know that they're using now this PCR test with a magnification level that's too high. Like, how do we know, or or how or how can we get to know? And you know, and one of the issues, uh, one of the main things that people are looking at just briefly is is the all-cause mortality, right? So every year in the United States, people die for whatever reason. If you died, you go on, you go on the list. What's happening now is a lot of people are paying attention and seeing, okay, in 2020, was that all-cause mortality a lot higher, right, than when it was for the average of previous years? And they, they give a weekly count. Here's one thing that we know, um, at least in, in uh, Sweden, right? So in Sweden, all of the numbers are indicating right now, and a lot of people put Sweden as having this, this extremely high death count compared to their Scandinavian uh, members and so on and so forth. All it's preliminary data yet, so we're in, it's not 100% sure, but it's looking like this is practically going to be another regular year in number of deaths for Sweden compared to themselves historically and compared to the Scandinavian countries. It's just kind of wild. Yeah, I mean, I, again, like I, it's it's interesting to me. I don't know how much you could tell. I mean, of course, if 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 something is going from you know, I don't know how many standard deviations you'd have to go for there to be an abnormal uh, death count, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, if it's in within a certain range, I would imagine that uh, you know you you couldn't attribute. It would be hard to attribute that to the virus you know it'd say hey and then when you look at it from a risk perspective it's one of those things where hey this is in range with what society can accept you know yeah with what people accept in their everyday lives right so at certain levels is like okay if you're within this age range you have just as much a chance of dying in a car accident if you're in this age you know and there, there there's definitely those levels also missing from the conversation yeah, and that's what I'm saying. That was one of the main things. Hey, how much of this can society absorb? Listen, we all have to understand at one point we all die. And but you know, we can't because there's that risk of death, we don't tell people that they can't drive on the street. Uh, or we don't tell people that they can't fly in a plane, or we don't tell people that they can't do, you know, whatever it is that they want to yeah. do, you know. And and so now is is COVID within that range of acceptable uh risk? And by all means, it looks like it's lower than a lot of things that we accept in our daily lives, especially for the people under 50, right? You probably have more chance of getting killed in a car accident uh, than contracting COVID and dying. If you know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw that out as a hypothetical, but I mean, given the risk that we have, or we know for people under 50, I would, yeah, it's in the ballpark. It's definitely in the ballpark for sure. And And so uh, that's a useful way of looking at it. Yeah. And so is that worth shutting down society over? And I'm going to say absolutely not from a practical perspective, right? Because it's going to cause more collateral damage than, than just letting things take its course and advising, you know, that's the problem. The government is just a bunch of noise right now, or the media too. It's just noise. You can't get a clear signal, right? And so what I would have preferred real quick going into this is, man, it would be great if we had a trustworthy source of information 
And, <laughs> and, the and, checkers. And, yeah. Well, well, not not a trustworthy source of information that deems itself to be that, right? But yeah. something that has merit has proved itself through merit. And that is something that I would have hoped that the government and the media would have worked in conjunction in doing. But of course, yeah, I mean, no, unfortunately, we don't have that. Yeah, that's it's not the world we I, live in. But I think yeah. people think of gov- the government as this benevolent entity that is out there looking out for our best interests. But you could see the amount of contradiction in their story, the amount of corruption, the amount of uh, yeah. collusion. And they have an incentive as well. They have an and incentive they, as well. And, and it so works for both sides. You know, a lot of people look at, uh, like, for example, a lot of people on the left will look at Trump and they'll see all the things he does and this and that. And I'm somebody that that thinks that happens on both sides. You oh, know, if you think absolutely. it only happens for the opposite side, you're there's you're probably not looking at things accurately, right? Whichever side of the spectrum you fall, if you think that only the only the other folks are the ones who do it wrong or who get it wrong or who have an agenda or an incentive, I would say um, you might be under your own bubble. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. So I, I, um, real quick, let's get, let's, let's talk about, I do want to talk about, well, it's kind of going right into that. These institutions, how they can get corrupted. And I just want to point out some examples of that and how, you know, for me, again, the standard that I use is once an institution is showing signs of corruption, it's hard to take anything they say as trustworthy, even if they're putting out good information, it's still, you have to look at it, everything now at a critical eye. That's the way I operate, right? You can't passively accept it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when we're getting to the point where some of these institutions are promoting really outrageous unscientific, uh, you know, positions. So for instance, like, and, and I just want to kind of go over those, those positions, you know, like you, you have now a movement where they're really trying to advocate that two plus two is five, can be five, you know? And, and and this has crept into the institutions, which people are trusting to give them accurate information. And I say, how can, how can that be? How can you take these people at face value when this is the type of stuff men can have periods, this is now a, a, a position being pushed by prominent institutions and government, uh, you know, even to the point where men can have babies and, you know, and there's no difference in biological sex. And it's, it's yeah, just that's wild. a big argument these days. That's a big argument these days. I think um, recently the I don't know if you saw it, but so that has been in the I would say the stratosphere of culture for a while. And I think now it's filtering down to every day. To the point that I think um, the New England Journal of Medicine recently had an article, which is so the New England Journal of Medicine is very prestigious, right? It's like one of those institutions that you think it, you know, just offers unbiased truth. And it's been that way for for a long, long time. They had they published an article where they were making the case for not identifying babies as male or female when they were born, like literally not putting it on their birth certificate. Right. A lot having to do uh, to these to these theories and philosophies, you know. Since I'm up, since I'm in that field and I like to read structurally where that comes from, that actually comes back from you know 70s and 80s. People have been talking about this, but now we're here today, actually seeing it in everyday culture. Yeah, this is kind of the postmodernist um, process that we're seeing play out, and they've. I would I would say that uh, that kind of mindset has been uh, slowly infiltrating our, our uh, institutions and corrupting the, 
you know, the knowledge that comes out of there, because again, it's, it's kind of this thing where now we have to question, you know, before we understood the standards in which you used to, you know, uh, put out information or reports or conclusions. And now it seems like this institution doesn't value those standards anymore. And those standards are, you know, directly, uh, you know, attributable to sourcing out the truth. And so if you've abandoned these standards, uh, how, how can I trust the, the, especially when it's gotten to the point where, again, what I was talking about, how can we trust the, the information? And I think that is very well seeping into COVID. You know, I, I think that the institutions that were corrupted by that are also corrupted, um, that are corrupt in that perspective are also corrupt when it comes to disseminating out COVID information. So I I guess if I could get one thing across, it's like, hey, you know, these institutions that you think you trust, these universities, you <laughs> yeah. might want to take a second look because they actually think some really crazy stuff and it looks like they've dropped their standards. Yeah. You know, if, if you think back, um, probably, you know, when, when we were kids and it's probably been like that for, for a long time, they always, they always get us to think critically, right? And to um, uh, not just not just to get the right answer. How did you get it? Show your work so that you can think critically. I think right now we are we are now in the place where we definitely need to find a way to think critically, not passively accept anything. Which a lot of the times it almost gets in there almost by osmosis, and and be a skeptic. I think that's almost like the default way f- folks should be. Uh, number one because of the politicization of everything these days, but also you see, not to get into it, but you also see like, you know, like AI coming in and having these deep fakes and all these other um, systems that we used before. Before, if you saw a video of, let's say like President Obama just giving a speech, you're like, okay, that's President Obama. Then you can make up your mind about it. Now you've seen like the deep fake that they had about President Obama, which you can kind of tell is still kind of fake, but it's, you know, it's him, it's his voice talking. And you know that in five years, you won't be able to know whether it was President Obama or not that gave that speech. And so we're definitely at a spot where, where we need to think critically. If you can't do that, at least be a skeptic. Uh, you know, don't accept things so easily. Or you- don't, definitely don't accept it passively. Or you're going to be led the wrong direction, you know. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, that's happening I, a lot, yeah. Especially with crypto, uh, you know, we've seen the experts continuously be wrong for the last yeah. decade. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is why I say, you know, people, you know, I, I get it, you know, especially for anyone that hasn't had, you know, it's it's a it's a huge revelation and it can, it's a huge psychological toll to kind of look at things from an objective perspective because you realize, hey, a lot of what I thought to be true is actually not true. And my, I have to readjust my worldview. And that's kind of scary because now, you know, I feel vulnerable. I don't know who to trust. And, you know, I've, I've seen people have a hard time kind of like when we want to, if you want to describe it as waking up from the matrix, you know, this, this, (laughs) this, this world that has been constructed around them through these narratives that they've been, you know, has been ingrained into their, into their psyche from a young age, you know, uh, to, to have to go back and reconstruct that is, is a daunting task. And so, you know, I, 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 I feel for them, but, uh, you know, if not, you're going to be continuously led. If you don't do that, some of that work, you're going to be continuously led astray. And the stuff you believe is going to become 
continuously disconnected from reality. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like what Orwell says. It's like, you know, the last commandment of the party was for you to uh, totally disregard anything you, you know, to be true or it's, I'm paraphrasing there, but yeah. And I, I, it's basically that idea. It's like, that's what they are going to command. Like, this is what the apparatus is going to command of you. It's going to say, I am the authority and I am going to need you to increasingly believe things that are not in line with your reality. Yeah, I think I think I think people still, if if they if they become spectators, um, skeptics, and sort of turn inwards a little bit and kind of like just drown out, you know, like forget about everything else that's being said. I think most people still have a good sense of common sense. It's just the outside information makes it real difficult to know. But I think if most people can turn inside for a little bit, we're not at, at the spot where where vast majorities of the population are completely gone. But while they're plugged into that source of information, it really does make them confused and it does make them scared and it does, you know? And I think that's why a lot of people, if you look at these days is like, listen, just disconnect, go talk to your neighbor, see if you see see them for a real human being. Because when you do that, your common sense kind of starts coming back and you really start feeling not only better emotionally, more connected with other people, but actually your common sense, I feel makes better judgments. Yeah. You know, it's a, uh, it's very similar. I think what's happening with COVID and, and, you know, just clinging onto the official narrative and despite, you know um, you know, despite new evidence or dis- despite, the logic of the situation or despite reality that you see in front of you uh it's it, i think there's parallels there to like the woke movement you know um there's no oh, you and, want <laughs> you want to touch a lot of stuff here <laughs> well no i'm i'm just i'm just you know i'm just making the parallels to kind of having to you know view the world through this lens of you know my view is correct and anyone else's that has a view against my view is an evil person right and that is that is something that's evolving out of covid now that i see that it's like if you don't believe the official narrative if you don't believe that masks uh, prevent the spread of virus and if you don't believe that it's such a horrible catastrophe well, well you want grandma to die and you're such a horrible person and that's the same thing with the woke movement it's like you know you either have to get on board with all this stuff that we say about racism and about uh, this and about that and about uh, oppression or you're part of the problem right and so now i'm seeing a lot of people push back against that kind of illogical thinking and it gives me hope, like you said, it, it gives me hope that as more people start to see each other as human beings and, you know, who are complex and have, you know, a mind of their own and make their own thoughts through their own experiences, which you can't tap into because it's a personal thing, that I have hope that humanity kind of evolves past this and and gets through the uh the cognitive dissonance and that lens that gets put on that uh, seeing your your fellow human beings as enemies yeah i think um i think generally speaking with with these movements with these memes if we want to call them that in some ways or just with this a lot of the times just with anything new that comes along that starts grabbing people in mass there's generally that that first wave um a lot of people go with it 
and then generally as it's as it spreads then people start getting to know it better and start distinguishing better and identifying better what it is and then oftentimes you get what um you know you're kind of seeing now which is what we call the pushback or just people thinking more clearly uh and better about it and saying you know at first i thought it wasn't that bad or you know because a lot of this a lot of these movements come under the guise of you know sacrifice and, and, and making things better for for other people and just being better human beings but a lot of the times people start realizing that that may not have been all of the of the push that was behind that and there might have been you know components of control that were in it and you get that a counter movement and i think right now we're we're in that counter movement and um you know it it's it has different ways of showing up there's a reason why you know all throughout the world you saw uh, uh a number of let's say conservative folks come come to power more or less at the same time it's because there was an initial movement and now the counter movement that's why you get you know boris johnson in 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 the uk and the uk now is going you know just it's having the brexit and then you know we get trump over here and then we get bolsonaro in brazil these are not disconnected events as you know that there's there's for lack of a better word there are movements or culture wars and the first one comes in and now you're getting sort of like the pushback to that and i think overall we're we're in we're in a spot where people are not getting accepting the narratives as easily as before and are better able to define what is being pushed upon them i would definitely agree with that yeah well let, let me see here. Let me let me uh, get some predictions from you. Do you <laughs> want to do that? <laughs> we can we can we can play that game. I hopefully nobody puts money on my predictions. So what do you what do you think is okay? So I guess it doesn't have to be specific. It could be a general outlook on on how you how you see things evolving um, from he, from tw in twenty twenty one. Are things get better or do things get worse? Oh, in what sense? In COVID? Yeah, let's just say COVID. Are, are people wearing masks six months from now? Are is there are people taking the vaccine? Are they refusing the vaccine? Um, is there yeah. is there pushback? Is there you know what do you think evolves out of this? Because I I I think we're reaching a very interesting point where we're gonna have a change in 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 the power structure in Washington D.C. Right, and yeah. and you know, I don't know what that's going to look like. It feels like there's an uncertainty, like the fog of, let's just call it the fog of war is I, I can see two weeks out and that's where my certainty lies, but <laughs> not, not now, because I think there's, I don't know when the transition happens, but it should be soon. Um, I, and, and then for the 2021, I just, I don't know what to expect as far as COVID and how many people are still going to go along with this all the way out until like six to a year, a year out from now, you know? Yeah, those are good questions. And that's, that's something I don't think that could be, you know, when we say people, I don't think it really be it could really be answered in, in a general term. Uh, what we're seeing right now is that, uh, and even you see a lot of articles, even on, let's say on, on left leaning media, that a lot of hospital staff are not taking the vaccine. One thing I could definitely say is that before anti-vaxxers to many people, 
were sort of like tinfoil hat wearing folks. And you kind of like looked at them, you know, like from, you know, from the side like that. This whole COVID scenario has made them really strong, which, you know, it, and I think now there's a much, much greater pushback for the vaccine and for all vaccines, I think it seems, you know, um, it has definitely helped out that movement. I think there's, there's always going to be people on either camp. Overall, what I'm seeing, though, and at least what I've seen here in Florida, is that just a lot of people just want to get back to their lives. And I think there's going to be a greater push for that in 2021. So relative to where we are today, you know, short of something else, some an actual real threat that makes it worse, I think generally things are going to be better for in, in that regard. Um, you know, you could see, at least for us here in Florida, you could see what happened here in Florida, which was, you know, the governor met with, with some scientists from Stanford and from Harvard. And after that, you know, everything came off, you know, businesses, That's were, allowed, yeah, businesses were allowed to businesses. Interestingly enough, also one of the scientists that he met works with this John Ioannidis guy that I was telling you about. And so he met with them. I think it was really more for show. He may have, and for show, meaning that, you know, the meeting actually happened like online and you could see it, you can go out to YouTube and see it. Uh, he probably had their discussions before and had and gotten to that conclusion before. But here you could see, you know, businesses are open, bars are open. There's no capacity. People are on the streets. I would say probably somewhere between 50, 50 to maybe 60, 40, not wearing masks. Um, but overall, from what I'm seeing, even from my, even from my friends and generally speaking is that people want to get back to their lives. That friend of mine that I told you that, you know, was locked out, locked in her house and, you know, started crying when she saw me because she hadn't seen anybody in, 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 in a month, you know, at one point she just couldn't take it anymore. And now she's, she's been out traveling, traveling the country in her van because she had a van that, that was, that was her goal and she, everything was stopped. So people are getting to a level where they just want to get back to their lives. And if enough of that happens, even under a new administration, um, I think they're, they're, pro they're going to make, they're going to make, if I had to guess, and it's a guess, it's not even a prediction, they might make an initial move to make it seem like they're doing something. And then after that initial move, they'll back off and say, well, we did work and now we can go back to normal. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I honestly don't have a prediction. I'm just, uh, yeah. I'm watching it day, day by day as I go and, uh, you know, just, um, making adjustments in my perspective where I need to. Now you want to, I got some, I got some other questions for you. <laughs> Are we going to, we're going to cover the entire universe. I like this. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is kind of a controversial question, little taboo question, but mm -hmm. I like to go to those places. What, and I like to think of probabilities, right? It's one of mm -hmm. uh, the mo models I use um, for trying to forecast. You know, I'm a macro guy. I, I pay attention to the macro landscape, geopolitics, um, economics, you know, the finances that's happening, the, the movement of money. And my last question to you is, what do you think are the chances that this was made in a, in a lab? 
Oh, wow. You know, so we do have that, that, uh, that scientist that escaped from China. Um, you know, that's currently looked at as tinfoil hat theory that it was made in a lab. I don't think that can be classified as tinfoil hat theory. I think, um, um, and it doesn't have to be malevolent, right? So the fact that it came from a lab doesn't mean that it was on purpose. And I think that's the first distinction people need to make. I don't have enough information. Um, um, like most people don't know. What we do know though, is that, you know, in Wuhan, they were working with it. Um, me personally, I, I think there could be a good possibility that it escaped the lab. It doesn't have to be, you know, in order, in order, in order to, in order to try and get ahead of something like a possible future infection from SARS, right? So we had the first one. So if you play this out briefly, right? And we had the, the, the first SARS infection, um, the scientists and the Chinese and, you know, the CCP starts looking into it, you could easily see how they could, you could be trying to coaxing a virus to mutate into something of what it could be so that you could have the antidote to that ahead of time. So, right, so even, even just leaving out malevolence, and this was done on purpose, you could see how that could happen. What we do know is that the lab that they had over there was nowhere near as advanced as the ones that we have here on the States. And several reports, objective reports are out there um, from, from scientists throughout the world saying this is a disaster waiting to happen, right? Um, so those reports are out there and people can look for them. And, and so with that information, you could, you could kind of see how it is possible. We don't know, but it's, I don't think it's a, it's a tinfoil hat theory that this could have come from a lab in, uh, in, in, in China and Wuhan in particular, giving the work that they were doing, giving the reports that are out there specifically saying that this is a disaster waiting to happen. And that, that's my take on that, yeah. Cool, yeah, I, uh, I kind of agree. I see it as a real possibility. Um, I think that there's a lot of uh, circumstantial evidence that uh, would at least warrant a serious investigation uh, yeah, we're so, never going to get that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just be clear on this. It's not going to happen. The communist government in China will control that every single step of the way. Yeah. All right. Well, Alain, I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast and talking COVID with me. Uh, yeah, this is I, fun. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to get you back on again uh, for a catch-up session and, and, and just uh, shoot the shit again. So. Uh, yeah, of thanks. course. We can talk more about crypto. All right. Sounds good. All right, Alain. All right. Peace.